Hello and welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host, Abby Martin. Today we have a special interview with two guests working with Groundwork Opportunities in Uganda, Bartwamye Skarupa and Peter Francis Laswada. Bartwamye Skarupa is co-founder and executive director of Groundwork Opportunities. He holds a BA in finance from the University of Illinois and has seven years working experience in management and information technology consulting. He's held numerous management positions in 10-plus Fortune 500 companies implementing efficient business practices in the USA and Europe, and has five years of experience working in the nonprofit sector in the U.S., Europe, Africa, Asia, from frontline jobs to systematic development work. Peter Francis Laswada is the director of the Ugandan Rural Community Support Foundation, URCSF, and the country director for Groundwork Opportunities Ugandan Programs. Peter was born and raised in the Masaka region of Uganda, where his programs are currently based. He studied both in Uganda and the U.S., and has worked extensively with the Mercy Corp. He is an experienced communicator and leader in working with international volunteers, and has a passion for helping children and the poor because he sees the potential in building his community through education and bringing people out of poverty. Hope you enjoy the exclusive interview with Bartholomew and Peter Francis Laswada. Check out our SoundCloud timeline for more links and information, resources, and information about the music we play. And please visit MediaRoots.org. And please donate to grassroots projects to keep these broadcasts going. Thanks so much. Why don't we start off by talking about groundwork and what you guys are doing over there in Uganda. Bart, why don't we start with you? Sure. So my name is Bart Skrupa, and I'm the executive director and co-founder of Groundwork Opportunities, or we just call it GO for short. Um, Go, the motto is the power of their ideas and our support, and we look for sustainable projects in developing world countries. Uh, The communities manage and operate these projects themselves, and we provide support for that in terms of capacity funding, uh, being able to help scale them and reach them into international markets. The idea on the ground in Uganda is uh, helping farmers grow their food better. So Peter is the manager of a farm, a model development farm that teaches farmers how to grow their crop better using things like rainwater harvesting, um, crossbreeding of, or sorry, animal husbandry, cross fertilization of crop and those sorts of things. And Peter and I have been working together for about four years now doing this. It's one of our quickest growing projects and really strengthens the core capabilities of Uganda, which is the breadbasket of East Africa. And so I think after that, I can pass it on to Peter to give a little bit more information about the farm. Sure. Yeah, Peter, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing in Uganda with the farm? Yes. Thank you very much for giving us this chance. Um, Well, our our project in Uganda in partnership with Groundwork Opportunities, um, we are partners in sustainable development with the rural communities for a better and just world. And uh, we've our, our project is focusing on alleviating suffering and poverty by helping people build secure, productive, and just communities. And we also believe in the intrinsic value and dignity of human life, as well as the strength of human resilience and the ability of people to thrive. So basically, this is our uh, media focus here in Uganda, um, tying it up with uh, um, helping people um, have enough food to eat. In fact, looking at a well-balanced diet, but also helping people taking agriculture as a business so that they can generate income to boost the economies for their households. 
and uh, we're also focusing on um, um, an integrated approach of water hygiene and sanitation in communities uh, so that people can access safe clean water, drinking water but also have a better hygiene and sanitation in their homes so that we have a healthy community and a productive community. That's really incredible. Um, <clears throat> so talk a little bit about your, and, and can you guys pronounce the president's name for me so I don't get it incorrect? I, I beg pardon? Um, what, how do you pronounce the, the president's name just so I don't get it incorrect? Oh, Museveni. Um, Sorry. Okay. So he's been in power for about a quarter century. Um, yes. How, how, what is the political climate like, let's say, before the elections uh, leading up to, to all this insanity that's going on right now? What was, what has his reign been like? Um, has it been cultivating opposition for a long time? It seems like this opposition leader who's now involved in, in, initiating these protests they've been kind of at odds and um in this election cycle for a while could you just comment a little bit about about just the political climate and strife leading up to to the february elections and what's happened after that um sure i can give you just a little bit of the background of um this government that you know was uh that came to power by mr seven uh when mr seven First came to power in 1986. He had a 10-point program. One of the key pillars of, the, of their plan was observance and respect of human rights in the first part of Museveni's rule. There were considerable advancements and developments in human rights as standards, actually relating to opening up of space and a quite of a significant degree of respect for the right to freedom of expression and the right to freedom of speech. But um, the government flourished during the 25 year rule in both economic and human terms. Um, but later on, things turned around and the political environment um, changed a little bit when they opened up space for political parties mm-hmm. uh, as they go. And because some of the members that were under the ruling party uh, broke off from Mr. Museveni's government, um, for example, like one of the leading... Uh, leaders of the opposition, um, retired Colonel Dr. Kizar Esje, uh, broke off from Mr. Museveni's government and started his own party, which is uh, Forum for Democratic Change, that w- wanted to see some kind of change in the democracy, the economy, and the sharing of power in the country. But also the government um, looks like it has overstayed, and it's its 10-point program that uh, was so much good for the ca- to develop the country changed around uh, because they did not have any new ideas to bring mm-hmm. the, the country in terms of leadership and the, the development. Um, they lost the focus. So things turned around mixed with the new, the new cri- world crisis of uh, rising prices of food and oil. Um, that's part of the turmoil in, 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 in Uganda just in a few weeks ago. Because everyone really was feeling, feeling this in, in their pockets and their families because we've been struggling for families to have enough food to eat. Um, because, because food prices were really very expensive, a few people could afford it. 
even fuel. So this really sparked off some kind of anger and the opposition took the advantage of uh, this situation and criticized the government much more than before. Mm-hmm. And now what happened was um, leading um, some kind of like demonstrations uh, where they kind of like initiated walk to work um, or walk to church, those kind of, um, some kind of small organized movement so that the government could come up with a solution to the economic problems that are facing critically this government, this country. And unfortunately, the government uh, did not handle that uh, properly because we expected the government to give us some kind of a solution to sit down and discuss with the opposition, but probably also with the communities to discuss about the, at least a better solution. But unfortunately, some of the government leaders would come out opposing the idea or all the solutions that the opposition was trying to, to address. And this is part of a lot of political unrest uh, since probably very, very early April of this year. There was we saw lots of demonstrations all over the country, um, in the center and the south and the north, and um, there was quite a lot of uh, demonstration. People trying to express themselves because the constitution of Uganda that was amended uh, in 1995 in its Article 29 gives people the right of freedom of conscience, expression, movement, religion, assembly, and association. So the leaders of demonstration, based on this article, to demonstrate their views, to express what they included, what should be included in the freedom of press and the other media, freedom of thought, uh, belief, uh, freedom of institution, of learning, and, and many other things that people really, so that maybe if they were able to do something, the government would listen to them and find a solution or come up together with the opposition and um, help us to, to determine the destiny of this country. But also, this has been sparked off by the, the, the lack of good, good governance in some parts of the government. However, we can't deny this. It's been the history trend of politics in Africa that mm-hmm. Uganda is not exemption because from the, uh, the regime of Idi Amin and uh, Milton Obote, you, you, could, you could see this element coming out even now. However, we can, we can say that the, the Mr. Venice government has tried its best to probably change the tune of democracy in Uganda, but I think sometimes they are blown away by the heavy winds of selfishness, corruption, um, uh, overstaying in power that probably people have not been happy about this. So we are, we are also contri- contributing in the government to have led one of the most successful HIV AIDS campaigns in Africa. And this is recorded according to the World Health Organization that we've seen a remarkable change um, of uh, reduction in HIV AIDS dropping down from 10 Ten percent, mm-hmm. 10.2% to like 6.5%. So that is a great thing. And also the economy has been, you know, not so much stable 
and we think it's, it's been a little bit much better than the other economy, the past economies in, in, the, in the past leadership. But still, there is so much to desire for the citizens of Uganda sure. to change, to have a, a better Uganda and have a, a better democracy and good governance. So th- this is this is where all things came from uh, mm-hmm. in the last few weeks while we had the demonstrations. But to come to the point of demonstrations, what happened, there was disrespect of human rights. I think even if the government admits this, which does not portray a good image internationally, uh, even to our allies, because we need we needed really the government needed to respect the rights of the people because they had that freedom and it's provided in the constitution of Uganda. So there's been um, brutal mistreatment of people, beating and killing of people by the government agents, which I think that um, the government has realized this mistake and is trying to change uh, that tune um, of, of approach. The the reports that I've read, uh, the very limited reports that I've read coming from the mainstream media in America, um, almost make make it seem like the protests were contrived uh, by the by the opposition party. Would you say that they've, they've, they're more organic? I mean, it seems like this is just people coming together in a more organic sense instead of a contrived political play. Um, I beg your pardon? Uh, would you say that the protests and the uprising is a more organic movement coming from the people, or would you... I know that you said that it was um, instigated by the, the opposition, but is it the people are behind it as well? I mean, this is an organic movement coming from the people upset about the, the increase in prices, right? Yes. Okay. The whole population was really upset about the, um, the whole crisis. And uh, I think it just came at a time when we had just finished the elections and the opposition had lost. Uh, but there were some claims and irregularities uh, in the elections, but some kind of part of the um, uprisings in Uganda and the opposition, uh, the opposition groups were the leaders of the demonstrations, which probably found people that were already angered by the whole situation, but nothing was being um, done by the government to find a solution. So it was a mixture mm-hmm. by the opposition being uh, being angry at the government for different political trends that they've taken that were unjust to them, but also the population was not that happy about what was happening because things were becoming completely very difficult to manage. Uh, people went hungry, did not have food, did not have money, did not, people were not even able to afford the transportation from homes to town. Sure. Things were becoming really um, uncontrollable. And what about the elections? Would you call them fair? Uh, the elections um, uh, where Mr. Museveni got the majority vote, mm-hmm. the opposition still claims that there was some irregularities. Which part of it the government admits that they claim that they had the the biggest victory. Mm-hmm. So we, we, for us, people who are not involved in the politics, we take it the whole sum and, you know, accept what came out because we think what the majority, you know, voted for 
Mm-hmm. Or whether that was the right thing. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and let's talk a little bit about when the when the protests started. Um, what what's been going on? What have you guys experienced, uh, Bart? Let's let's start with you. Why don't you talk about your personal experiences seeing these atrocities firsthand? It started off peaceful. I mean, it was a completely peaceful protest. Your con- the Ugandan constitution protects this, is what you're saying. So it was completely um, just a, a brute force, basically coming down from the government. Um, let's just talk a little bit about your guys's personal experiences, Bart. So from those and having been in Kampala or Uganda in general quite a few times in the past five years, it was mm-hmm. really a, a Kampala I had not seen before. This was um, a country that was the breadbasket of East Africa. It's a providing nation. It's uh, and, and to see it kind of on lockdown was quite just, it just was just scarring in a certain sense. I mean, there's police everywhere. This is, I think, to your point about the organic uprising, the uprisings happen in different places. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are even as a hashtag on Twitter to follow walk to work, you see people checking in in different places and gathering and police are trying to control any sort of time of people are gathering together, <clears throat> whether by using live rounds or tear gas. And it was just not a Kampala I had seen before, which is quite sad given that it was an, a nation that is growing, becoming a, a breadbasket of East Africa. Mm-hmm. And to see it in that manner was just, just a complete surprise and shock. Yeah, Peter? Yeah, I, I agree with Bart because this, the situation really changed very drastically over just a short period. Uh, but I think the, the, the main cause of that was uh, the excessive use of force against the protesters. Um, instead of sitting down with them and find a solution, so they started uh, firing like ammunitions, uh, you know, at the crowds of protesters in different parts of the country, and a couple of people lost their lives, which is very unfortunate. And uh, um, there was, you know, tear gas all over the place, roadblocks, uh, checking and. Um, the, the most sad part of it was some of the innocent people that were on their own businesses were attacked by police and beaten severely and many people were injured, uh, of which we are very grateful to um, Groundwork Opportunities and the people of America that supported um, our emergency program to support the victims of the the violence of the government agencies in Uganda that, you know, we we give some support um, with food and medical medical mm-hmm. aid, um, transport to take people back home, those who were discharged from hospitals. Um, so we are very, really, very grateful to that, and we continue to ask more people to support uh, these kind of initiatives that come up, you know, in terms of emergencies. So... Um, there was really a huge violation of human rights in this uh, in this in this uh, situation, where people were brutally uh, beaten, um, injured, and killed. Uh, and this, that we have even some children who were even killed, and pregnant women shot um, right. during the the scuffle between the protesters and the police. And so some some innocent people really were hurt. Um, uh, unfortunately, 
And I think to add to that point about the walk to work campaign, it's really about people walking in the streets. And what that does is it diffuses the ability of the police to discern who's a protester and who's just simply walking on the street. And I know that sounds like a laughable notion, but it is quite true. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's part of the brilliance behind the campaign, but it, it diffuses it throughout the people. So there are quite a few innocent victims that come out of this. And a lot of this turmoil all really stemming from the rising cost of food, food, food prices and oil. But it's, it's, it's a problem felt by the entire community, hence why it's a community uprising of uh, walk-to-work campaigns. And then the unfortunate outcome of that was that there was quite a few innocent people that were just caught in the crossfire. Yeah, I mean, were any of the, the people marching or walking in the streets, were any of them armed? None that no. I saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. None of them was was armed. So I would really go as far as to say that all of them are innocent. I mean, you know, just innocent bystanders who are participating in a peaceful protest. Your constitution protects this, and for the government to to come down with such force is absolutely outrageous. Yeah. Are is Kampala and Masaka? Are those the two towns that this has been happening in, or is it more far-reaching than just those two areas? Oh, it did. It did happen in many parts of the country, including Masaka mm-hmm. town. There were some uprisings, but even in the deep down small towns, there were there were demonstrations. Mm-hmm. So it it really went countrywide. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes. And yes. and how long has it been going on? Is it still happening right now, or is the government crackdown? Is it kind of scared people into submission, or what what has been happening since since the uprisings in terms of the the activism? It's been cracked down now. Um, there is peace now in different parts of the country. Um, we know that a number of people have been arrested. They are still in courts of law trying to plead themselves uh, not guilty. Um, a number of them have been released from, from prison uh, because they found them innocent. Um, uh, the only thing you can see, there is a lot of military, as Bart mentioned, around towns, guarding the city and small towns, and quite many roadblocks, like roads from the highways. There are, there are many roadblocks of military and the police trying to guard the roads, probably, um, to prevent any more demonstrations coming up. Um, so, so far, the situation is really calm. Uh, people are back to work normally. Uh, business is going on and everything, in fact, good enough. Schools have even resumed right now. So there is peace now in Uganda. But it's essentially becoming a police state now because of this. Um, you, you were saying that there's just cops, you know, patrolling. It's just a very heavy presence of government oppression right now still, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, yeah you're correct. And it increases the costs of doing business as well. Things are slowed down because of those roadblocks. Um, we were there primarily for the purpose for our visit was actually for the opening of a training center that we were finished building just uh, this month. And it was just getting to the, the site and the cost of the materials for finishing the training center, all the costs on the ground are just going up. And so the yeah. current situation is quite calm, though it's the actual roots of that the stress are still there. Sure. Yeah. 
And it, I mean, and it is it, just, oh, sorry, continue. And in fact, uh, for example, our farmers, many of them are scared, are scared even to come to the city uh, because they don't know what could happen the next, the next day. Even the prices of things is really high, especially the fuel. So transport costs are really high. And now they are not daring to come to town to do business, which is affecting the economy of the rural people whom we serve right now. Right. Um, yeah, and I, I was reading that the president actually spent over a million dollars on his initiation ceremony. I mean, it's just interesting that there's this huge economic disparity, and I'm sure it's costing a lot of money to be having just this police presence all over the country when these people are suffering and, you know, starving. Yeah, it's a fair point. We were there for the uh, initiation ceremony, which also led to a couple more um, protests that also were cracked down very quickly. I mean, we actually arrived right before the initiation drove into town and uh, there was a, it's a lingering scent of tear gas that we've kind of just become accustomed to at a certain point. Um, but also another reason that from these protests was a purchase of Russian military jets and another really ostentatious purchase by the current government. And you start looking at current food prices and oil prices on the ground and yet the government is investing in high high value fighter jets for a country that doesn't really have that much of an infrastructure at home and so you have to question the government's ability to provide a, an effective service for its people when it's pur- purchasing these outlandish fighter jets right what what is it what is the government's stated purpose for purchasing these jets <laughs> It's uh, where the government says that they are trying to buy this, this, this fighting equipment to protect the nation because they are mandated to protect the citizens of Uganda. So that is the the, the, the background of having all this very expensive equipment, fighting equipment, which is unfortunate. I don't think that we need them now uh, because we are not at war and right. we don't have anybody attacking the country. Uh, I think now uh, they need now to refocus on building the infrastructure of the country and make the economy better so that it's even more sustainable for our people. The infrastructures are not that good and sufficient. What are people still planning um, nonviolent resistance at this point? Or, is, uh, you know, you said that it's the peace is kind of maintained right now, but the root is still there. Um, is this just going to be an ongoing thing? I mean, do you are you talking to people that are still planning some sort of resistance and campaigning for you know more marches and and more joining together, community building like that? I think at the moment um, people have cooled down. Mm-hmm. They they are back um, to doing their normal business activities. They've seen that. These demonstrations probably have yielded some little results because one of the things that was positive, the government accepted to to sit down with the opposition uh, leadership to discuss on some solutions. But the conditions that both sides gave to each other were were not 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 favorable. So many meetings, you know, were not able to take place. Sure. Um, I, I think. 
to what I understand, people have given up. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have given up because there is excessive force that is imparted on the people to stop them, to prevent them expressing their freedom, uh, their freedom of uh, demonstration or freedom of, you know, doing things. So I, I think people now are just uh, blanketing, trying to keep themselves safe. Sure. I think and, that's the most important thing. Well, in addition to safe, um, I think security is another just issue in a larger context. I mean, if you look at what's happening with what now being called the Arab uprising or the Arab mm-hmm. Spring in Libya and Egypt. I mean, the core issues of this is the rising cost of standards of living and lack of economic opportunities. And whether your government is free or tyrannical in nature, those problems, if not solved, will continue these riots. Egypt remarkably has removed the Mubarak from its, op- from its, re- from its repressive clutches, but if it could very well spiral back down to what it was if they don't just get at the core issues. And so from our viewpoint, it's really not too much about continuing an oppression with the, or continuing against oppressive governments. It's looking into sustainable solutions by focusing on what we do very well, which is helping farmers grow their food better, commercialize it so they provide economic opportunities, and really focus on those core issues of it rather than looking into the government oppression of the people. Absolutely. I, I know that amnesty is on top of this story, but it seems like it's a little bit underreported in the corporate media, at least in, in America. Um, why do you guys think that is? I mean, we're here we are in Libya. We're now talking about going into Syria. We slap these sanctions on Syria. Um, you know, we're in Egypt. All these countries that we are focusing on from our American foreign policy, but no one's really talking about Uganda, um, considering this harsh crackdown. Why do you guys think that is? But My view, it comes, <laughs> I've asked myself that question quite a bit, and mm-hmm. there's the cynic in me that just looks at pure body count and looking into Syria, and, and literally we're getting into the numbers of thousands. Mm-hmm. Libya, you've had a long established relationship and the oil, obviously pockets that they have there, which make it a much mar- larger story in general. And for what it lacks, I mean, the, all those things that are there in Uganda. It is a large populace of people that are being um, harassed and have had human rights violations. And I'm not quite sure what really it comes down to, whether if it's just uh, of, uh, of so many stories currently in the media, starting with Egypt, going on to Libya, and then now, as you mentioned, Syria, but then also Byron. I mean, there's mm-hmm. just so much of this happening around the world that individual countries are beginning to lose their voice, which could be seen as a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, mm-hmm. as long as um, people are beginning to see this as a common problem and there are common solutions across these issues, then from that perspective, I can see it as a positive. Though, on the other hand, not every country getting its due right is an issue as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Peter, do you have anything to add to that? Of why maybe it's not being covered as much in the in American corporate media? Um, hmm. That's a very good question. I, I think by the time uh, these demonstrations were going on, there was so much going on in some of the powerful countries that are more, more powerful than Uganda, like Libya, Egypt, Syria, and some other countries. So I think the Uganda, the Uganda political situation was overlooked. Um, wasn't so much covered, I think, in the international media. 
just a few things probably were covered, a few events were covered, mm-hmm. uh, maybe by Al Jazeera and um, BBC and some other stations. But um, there was so much going on, I think. Um, there was so much going on um, around uh, the world in other countries. So probably that did not give much attention to the rest of the world. But also, I think our relations have been at an early stage. We've been uh, building them over years because of the, un- the political unrest that have been happening in different uh, governments of Uganda. So we've been at a young stage. Um, so probably that would have been one of the reasons. Yeah, I, I tend to be more cynical in nature as well, just knowing how corporate media is controlled um, by specific interests. It seems like we focus on countries that have resources that we can either attain or you know, just prop up some sort of puppet dictator that we can use later. But that's just my, uh, my cynical perspective. Um, so you guys are, are doing something amazing. You guys are focusing on the root cause of what we're talking about, the, basically the root cause of all these uprisings that we're seeing all across Africa and, and the Middle East right now. Um, talk a little bit more about, about just the solutions that, that could happen if the government were to work to get to the root cause of this. Um, what could Groundwork do to expand the program? How could more people get involved <clears throat> Talk a little bit more. And how long have you guys been there? How long has Groundwork been in Uganda? Well, uh, about four years. Okay. But Peter's been um, been working in the development field of Uganda for literally decades. Mm-hmm. I think, Peter, the best way to answer this, perhaps you can go into the food development and I can talk about how people can get involved. Right, right. Um, he, what we are trying to focus on um, is the food security, but also helping people define their own destiny um, in terms of improving their livelihood. Um, so what what we what we've been trying to do? Well, our program, as we started it after the the massive request of of communities requesting groundwork opportunities to support them because they had lost hope in some of the programs that were initiated by the government. And they looked at us as like they are safe yet, you know, to liberate them, give them the freedom um, of, of economic freedom so that, you know, we could help them take them from one stage of life to another stage. And this has built uh, confidence, trust, hope for our farmers we serve in the different regions of Uganda. So I, I think if I go to your question right, this is this is this is the background of how we came into existence and in partnership uh, with work opportunities to support um, the massive requests and needs um, of our communities in Uganda. Really quickly, how was the agricultural system before? the sustainable projects and it was initiated there was there monocropping um what was happening with the political control over the agriculture in uganda before this movement kind of started well it was very it was practiced traditionally mm-hmm. and it was not really yielding results and at the same time it was not sustainable mm-hmm. it was from garden to mouth from garden to mouth mm-hmm. and our people needed uh, a better, better ways of farming, 
uh, that are sustainable, but also look at agriculture as an economic business where they can generate money to improve their livelihoods. So uh, our approach was a little bit different to what was being practiced before, and it has made a, a remarkable change in the communities and the families we serve in Uganda. Right now, we are serving over 30,000 people, wow. those who are direct, including direct beneficiaries and indirect beneficiaries, because we established a model farm that farmers come to to learn first-hand skills of farming um, so that they, they, they get the best skills rather than knowing things in theory or having these big conferences talking about agriculture and everything. So what we established mm -hmm. is a farmer's school, rural mm -hmm. school, and it has made a huge difference in the lives of people in, time, in terms of skills development, in improving their economy, but also their feeding mechanisms have changed. People used to have one meal a day. Right. Now, our people are having three meals a day. It's a balanced diet. There was a huge problem of malnutrition among the children. Now, that's no more. We've provided uh, better methods of water management, hygiene, and sanitation. You can see our people are healthy. They spend less time now in walking longer distances. They spend less time and less money in spending on uh, going to, to, to hospitals, which is really showing a great achievement um, of our people that now they have much time to spend on developing their economy in wherever they are in the country. Sure, it's, a, it's incredible. Um, you're empowering the people to be sustainable, which is really the most important thing. Peter, yeah. or, or I'm sorry, Bart, if you wanted to expand on any of that. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess for questions about how people can get involved, this model farm, and it's really like a living laboratory. I mean, you go there and there's uh, there's a goat farm, a, a cow farm, um, all sorts of different crop growing there, showing exactly how, like, an example, planting a mango tree close here, cassava will conserve water because of the roots of the mango trees. And it's all there and out in the open for people to learn from. But it's open to travelers and volunteers alike. In fact, we encourage people to go out there um, just to see how the farm operates. And there's lots of little projects that mm -hmm. volunteers can get involved in, in on the field there in terms of um, helping with some of the farming training to even um, we have quite a race team here in San Francisco that raises funds. We're trying to implement a biogas project in there. So even some of that technological know-how of more modern techniques of using biogas instead of mm -hmm. fuel or rainwater harvesting techniques. There's also some sample pools of how to build very simple rainwater harvesting facilities. And we have volunteers going out there into the field with different ideas or possible solutions to showcase at that farm. And anyone that's interested in visiting, it's more than open um, to visitors throughout the world and also on our website at goworks.org you can get more information about that or possibly even participating in your own fundraiser to help the specific project that the farm is also available. And is this something that can be expanded to other countries in Africa? Um, it seems like it's been really successful and it's already expanded. You said 5,000 people are now involved in being you know, sustainable. 
<clears throat> is this and, something that you're looking to expand eventually? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, what we currently have, and, and there's still the farm itself. It's as a institution has to become it's sustainable in itself, and that we have revenue sources for that, which are going to be in place probably in the next year or two. And after that point, then you have a completely sustainable um, modular framework that you can implement in other areas. And so, Peter, actually, we have a project in Rwanda, and Peter accompanied us with us there, and we're looking into other possible solutions throughout the Uganda region. But at this point, the farm itself can grow in currently where it is in Masaka. Um, the, the networks there are growing, and we continue to build upon those and we're planning on looking into expansion within the next few years because from what i've seen in the past four years even though we have about 10 other projects this one by far is the quickest growing and is there are there any government entities that are helping out with the groundwork there or any other entities that are based in africa or is it just based here and you have people working with you that are based there so if you mean for the farm staff, there's there's about nine people that are all, this is a completely community-owned project. We do have international partners, both private corporations like Partners Group based out of Switzerland that mm -hmm. provide financing for the farm and its expansion of operations in addition to all the private supporters and donors that we have throughout United States, Europe, and Australia, um, but no large government-scale contracts. Mm -hmm. We have, we've applied for USAID and um, the Coca-Cola Foundation and a few others, but they're still in the process. Okay, great. And any last comments or, or anything that you guys wanted to add before we end the interview? Peter? Um, um, just in addition to what Bud just said, um, the, 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 the focus of our project is empowering the rural communities giving them the skills, giving them the voice, giving them the, the power to manage these initiatives and keep, keep them, maintain them sustainably. Mm -hmm. Because this is our, this is, this is how we are making a difference with our projects in the communities we serve. And two, <coughs> sorry, um, we've, what what we are trying to do with our project is including all kinds of people without discrimination, re, all kinds of religions, different races, tribes. As you know, Uganda uh, or Africa has many tribes. We include all tribes. Uh, people who are disabled and abled. Mm -hmm. So we include everyone. We give them a chance to discover, to do things by themselves, and to have that self-esteem so that they can have hope, define their own future, and be a voice for those that are voiceless in, in Uganda. In fact, what we are trying to do is to empower people, be agents of change, mm -hmm. so that a change that is desirable to everybody in the world so that they have better livelihoods and a well-defined future for themselves, for their children, and the generations to come. 
No, very great. well put, Peter. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> oh, now I feel like I have to come up with something really good. <laughs> uh, so my final thought on it is, if you look at security and what it just means, I mean, mm-hmm. security is literally freedom from care or doubt. Put another way, is just like a well-founded self-confidence. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that self-confidence and your ability to provide for your families, you're going to get out and you're going to demonstrate. And governments, whether they're free or tyrannical, are not happy with that situation. When we see things that we see in Uganda, which has a slightly more oppressive government, it leads to people being injured, killed, and, and just general upsetting throughout the communities. And it all comes down through this lack of self-confidence that I could provide for my family and raise my betterhood of living, raise my standard of living. So it comes down to us being able to provide people with that self-confidence to provide for their families, to provide for their communities and get away from this situation that we have seen now throughout the world where people are rising up against their governments and saying we cannot handle these prices of food and fuel anymore. Absolutely. What do you guys see happening um, in the near future? Do you see, I mean, a silver lining? It seems like you guys are definitely working with the solution that needs to happen, community building and and sustainability. Um, What, what do you guys think is going to happen just in your opinion with the, with the, the riots and the uprisings and, and everything that's going on? I see it as a really big positive in that sense that it's getting a lot of media, um, attention whether it isn't maybe Uganda's not as followed as much as Syria or Egypt but I think what people are coming to realize that this is happening and it's Mm. becoming much more prevalent Uh, we see this over Facebook and Twitter in addition to just our traditional media sources that we've gotten like the corporate media branches of CNN Mm -hmm. Um, and what we can see over Facebook and Twitter in my view that we haven't seen before is that many of the volunteers for example that visit our project in Uganda those updates are coming directly from our partners on the ground. They're not just unfamiliar faces. Mm. That's true. It's what's happening in Egypt. I mean, I have friends that are there now and they're sending me updates because we're becoming much more interconnected. The world is growing much smaller, much quicker. And as these issues are bubbling up and we see them as large scale riots on the small level, they're just the same problems you and I have. They're just anxieties of, whether it's a little bit different of can I afford college for my kids or can I afford the next meal for my family? These issues are common. And I think it's the better attention that we get to them. It leads to the introduction of much smaller grassroots level solutions and not just large government aid programs. Yeah. In in addition to that, um, given a chance of improvement uh, with the, uh, 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 te- um, technology, computer technology, and all, all kinds of you know uh, communication systems that have been introduced, like in developing countries like Uganda. I think it's going to make things more quicker for people to communicate, but also to voice out their needs and voice or you know concerns to the rest of the world. And in this in this matter, we are very thankful to Media Roots for giving us a chance to be a voice for those who are voiceless, especially the rural people in Uganda, that at least we can communicate what's happening uh, in our communities so that people know and be part of this so that we can all work together to be agents of change. And hopefully, 
we probably expect something good out of this, that we are going to have a better and a free community, democratic government and, you know, a free community where we can attract more visitors to come into Uganda to boost the economy, uh, people to come in Uganda and invest, uh, you know, in different things so that we can improve on our, on our economy. But also people to come to Uganda, it's a very beautiful country, uh, very, very beautiful, it's all green, um, people are so beautiful, they have good hearts, they love this, that is our culture. And the people, the people that visit the farm and work as volunteers, um, and I, and I realize there's a, a little bit of self-aggrandizement here. It's, it's some of the best food you'll ever eat. <laughs> it's all farm fresh. Um, mummy who takes care of us and for all of our volunteers that have been there. know we get farm fresh, all completely California, local organic <laughs> that's incredible that's incredible yeah well that i mean that's why well thank you guys so much thank you peter and thank you bart for what you're doing and thank you for reaching out to media roots I mean, it's completely a grassroots citizen journalism project completely unaffiliated with any sort of you know corporate money and we're just trying to provide a forum for people to tell their stories and to highlight really important things that are going on like groundwork so thank you guys okay. so much Oh, thank, thank you, you too, and and I'm also very grateful as someone from Africa, from Uganda in particular. I'm very grateful to Grand Work Opportunities and also to the American people who have made me to be who I am today, um, to be a voice for those who are voiceless in Uganda. Well, thank you, Peter. You guys are very inspiring. I'm I'm sold. I want to come to Uganda and help on the farm. <laughs> That's incredible. We'll put up some. We'll put up some links on the SoundCloud timeline of how people can learn more and how they can get involved. Thank you guys so much. You guys are awesome, Peter. Thanks for staying up. And I know that your your time schedule is probably totally off right now. Yeah, thank Have you, a good night's sleep, whatever time it is over there. You guys are amazing. Can you 